You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. All right, the, the, the sermon title this morning is Homecoming. Okay, many of you have graduated high school or you've went on to college and, and you've been around a group of people that have similar goals and aspirations. And every school that I've ever heard of has homecoming week, right? How many of you remember homecoming week from your high school or from your college days, right? Some of you are like, you maybe raised that hand with a little shame because you did things you don't really uh, want to remember. Others of you, you just had a lot of fun. But either or, we all come from places where we experienced homecoming. If you know anything about homecoming, there's a week long, uh, there's a week that, that you just celebrate what's going on. You celebrate school spirit. People are, are, are decorating the school and, and oftentimes every single day you're dressing up as some different thing and at the end of all the festivities, right, there's this big old football game where the high school boys, you know, lock arms and they walk out to midfield and they battle against the enemy school. They battle against the rival school. Right? And so there's, this, there's this, this sense of pride that overtakes the school where people are, are like-minded. They're coming together, and you have, you have the musicians and you have the athletes. Right? I remember going to a pep rally at Central High School. We got any Central graduates here? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Come on. We could be a little more proud than that, right? But I remember going to, to school, and we'd have these huge pep rallies, and all the kids would be there, and, and we'd have the quarterback back there throwing passes to students, and it was fun and entertaining. And, and then we had, like, the perfect mix in our, our drum line. We had, we, I call them, like, they were, like, perfect mix of, of the religious kids, right, the wild thing from the Muppets, and then some potheads trickled in there for some fun, right? And, and it was just a blast, right? They came out. They did this crazy jump, this crazy drum routine. They ran out. They came back in. Everybody loved it. It was just high energy, high octane. It was a ton of fun. And so there's all sorts of festivities. Another thing we would do is, is uh, kids would, would buy these old junker cars that like had a week or two of life left in them and they would, some of them would cut the tops off, they'd rip the doors off and they'd spray paint them blue and gold and they, they were you know, these eagle cars that they'd fly around in, right? And what they would do is they would take eggs and they would throw them at each other. How many of you guys remember that if you went to Central? Right, I don't know if they still do that, uh, but God help us if they do. Um, but... I remember seeing this girl walk into school one day, and, and we were, uh, you know, uh, passing in the, the aisle, and she, went, she didn't even notice me, uh, probably because her eye was, like, completely shut, but it looked like she got hit in the eye with a brick. It wasn't even like a fist. It was so huge and so black. I was like, what in the world uh, happened to her? And she's, she's kind of walking, you know, like she doesn't even care. Most people are like, put the makeup on, you know, like hide my face a little bit. I'm not going to go to school for a week because I don't want people to see my black eye. But she was like strutting around like she owned the place, right? And I found out later she was driving in her eagle car and she had her head out the window and she got smoked in the eye with an egg from an oncoming eagle car. And I was like, well, that's pretty epic, right? Like I got a lot of respect for you for that. And so she, she owned it. But what I love about homecoming, regardless of who you are, Regardless of what your background is, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of what club that you're in, homecoming week, everybody is an eagle. Everybody is a knight. Everybody is a cavalier. They're a wolf. They're a saint. They're a lion. 
In that week, it doesn't matter who you are. There's, some, there's a common focus and a common thread where you step up to the plate and you celebrate your home. You celebrate who you are with everybody else who has this common thread with you. And then at the end of the week, you get together and you dress up and you go to the football game. And usually in Aberdeen, we're really creative. We dress up in camouflage like we're going to go shoot a deer or something, right? And that's how we cheer our team on. And when we celebrate and we get behind our team as they go to war with our enemy, as they go to war with our rival. But there's something about homecoming that screams identity. It screams home. This is where I belong. My name is Micah, and I'm an eagle, and I represent the people of Aberdeen. There's something that's cool that, that happens in homecoming that affects us and, and changes the, our focus. It changes the way we think about things because we're defending and we're fighting on behalf of what we consider home. And as we approach Mark 11, what we're going to see is that this is Jesus' homecoming week. Okay, this is the week of festivities that's leading up to an epic battle between good and evil where Jesus is going to go to a cross and seemingly get defeated. And three days later, he's going to rise again. But before that, what we see in Mark 11, Jesus is going to leave Jericho and he's going to perform this miracle where he heals the eyes of a man named Blind Bartimaeus. Okay, that was his name, blind. He was so blind, that was part of his name, okay? He heals a man named Blind Bartimaeus, and all these people from Jericho are like, we gotta follow this guy. It was the week of Passover, and so everyone was making the pilgrimage down to Jerusalem already, and so Jesus takes this step for the first day of homecoming, and all these people are funneling in behind him, and as he comes to the city of Jerusalem, he's not met with just a couple people, but there's like a gypsy day parade where everybody's lining Main Street, right, and they're there celebrating the coming of Jesus, and they're waving the palm branches, and they're laying down the cloaks, and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, and they're shouting out, his praise. They're, they're celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. It's like a giant pep rally for Jesus. Everybody's excited. Everybody is honed in. Everybody is pumped up. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus has his heart set on one thing. He wants to go home. All throughout the scriptures, when you read the gospels and you see the story of Jesus, Jesus has this special affection for the house of God. He loves the temple. When you read the Gospel of John, Jesus is always seen in the house of God. He's always seen teaching from the temple. Jesus was at the temple and then this miracle happened. Jesus was at the temple and then this thing would happen. Jesus loved the temple of God. In fact, when he was a small child, at the beginning of Luke, he's a 12-year-old boy. His parents go back from Jerusalem. They were there celebrating the Passover. They leave to go back to their home. They lose Jesus, and they're freaking out. Where is Jesus? They go back, and there Jesus is, sitting in the temple, talking to the rabbis. Even from a young age, there was something about the home, something about the temple of God that Jesus loved, that Jesus adored. Home provides stability. Write that down. Home provides stability. Psalms 27.4, we're going to read this again. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jesus loved his father's house. Why? Because the home is where you learn. 
The home is where the stability of your life is built from a young age. The home is where you learn to whine and then not to whine because your mom or dad slaps the backside of your head, right? Home is where you learn to fight and not to fight. Home is where you learn to wash the dishes. Home is where you learn to clean yourself, amen? How many of you college students that are in the dating world right now, you're grateful that your mom taught you to wash under your armpits? I know I am, right? It's where you learn to not wear muddy shoes across the kitchen floor because it makes more pressure and more work for your mom to do later, Those are silly examples, but they represent something that oftentimes we take for granted. Home is the place where stability is built. Home is the place where you will learn the things that will carry you through the rest of your life. And when there's a healthy home, there's healthy habits. When there's an unhealthy home, those unhealthy habits are things that you will carry for the rest of your life. Why does Jesus love the home of God? Because there contained the practical Reading of scripture, Jesus loved being inside those 30-foot walls. He loved sitting near the rabbis when they would unroll the scrolls. Jesus himself, when he entered into his ministry, loved taking the scriptures and expounding those to people inside of the temple. Why? Because whether you were young or old, it was in those moments that you learned the scriptures. It's in those moments that you learn to take with you those things that you learned early on to the rest of your life, those things that you learned from a rabbi, those things that you might learn from your parents, right? Those people are gonna take it into their home and they're gonna teach their family. And then when they go and they have families, those families will go back and you can trace it all the way back to the temple where the scriptures were expounded. Jesus loved the home. Why? Because it provides stability. He loved it because he could go there day after day. He could go there once a year and celebrate the Passover. He could go there with his disciples and know, and know that the scriptures were being taught. Home starts in a child from a young age and it will carry them throughout the rest of your lives. Shout out to the mamas out there, right? Moms, this is one of the primary roles that I think uh, motherhood is all about, is they are the ones who instill in their kids that stability. They are the ones who have to constantly nag you and me to do our chores and to do our homework and to do this and to do this and to do this. That's a horrible job to have, yet moms faithfully and selflessly do that every single day. Dads do it too. Don't worry, dads, I got you, right? But they do it every single day, and in that nagging is stability because they're trying to hone you in and they're trying to develop you into something that will benefit someone else later on. You learn to do the dishes as a child, guess what? Your mom's not just doing that so you can get a nice wife, so she's like, well, hey, he washes the dishes, that's great. She's doing it because she knows she's actually gonna help you out because you might help your wife do the dishes one day. She's teaching you not to trape mud through the house because she knows one day you're gonna do it and you're gonna have a spouse and there might be a fight later on. They're training you up in the ways that you should go, and that's what provides stability. The home gives stability. The home also gives security. Let's go again to Psalms 27, 9 through 11. It says this, hide not your face from me. This is the same chapter we just talked about, how he wants to dwell in the temple of God all the days of his life. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 
Check out what the psalmist says. He says, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but I know you will take me in. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of someone who had, was supposed to have a relationship with someone and that relationship was supposed to provide stability. It was a deep, intimate relationship between father, mother, and a son. And now that relationship has been broken off. This person was once an insider with his parents. Now they're an outsider. They've been cast away. They've been forsaken. And what does the psalmist say? God, you will take me in. It's like the doors of his house will open up and God will reach out and grab the outsider to pull them in and give them a place of security. How many of you know when there's turmoil between you and your parents or turmoil between you and a parent, it's almost as if there's never a settling that can really come across your life. It's like there's just something missing because that relationship is literally, until you meet your spouse, is supposed to be the most important relationship in your life because that relationship, inside of it, is security. Inside of it, you have a father that will defend you. You will have a mother that will protect you. But when that relationship is broken, so is that security that comes with it. And we're left searching for something. We feel like we're outsiders looking for something or someone or some program to fill that role in our life to just bring security. And so we'll latch on to anything. We'll latch on to anything that will give us that security. That's what the home is meant to do. See, parents give identity to their kids. You give your kids identity. You train them up in the way they should go. You provide the stability, but off of that stability, their identity is built. Jesus knows this. Jesus takes pride in this. In his homecoming week, he's, he's hungry to go to the temple because that's the place from which identity comes. Your habits become their habits. Your traits become their traits. Your name is their name. Your space is their space. Your story continues into their story. Right? You are because of them. They are because of you. That's what this relationship means. It's, it's an identity-giving relationship. And some of you are saying, man, that's why I'm so messed up, right? But I have this, I have this, this routine I do with my daughters. Uh, I have a little five-year-old and a three-year-old, Elsie and Junie. And I've talked about this before, but I've, I've since developed a new prayer that I'm praying with my kids um, because I, I believe in this principle so much. I'll go up and I'll, you know, I got their bunk beds and I'll go up to Elsie's bed and I'll put my arms over and sometimes I'll, you know, hold her little head or whatever and we'll, we'll just kind of talk the end of the day discussion and then I'll pray for her and I'll do, you know, all the normal prayer things like, Lord, please keep us safe, keep our family safe. But then I've started saying something else. I started praying over her and saying, God, I thank you that Elsie is a Wespy. Thank you for making her a Wespy. Thank you for giving this little girl to me. Thank you, Lord, that she is mine and that I am hers. And it's a super awkward prayer to pray at first, but I think it represents something that is so powerful. Identity comes when you know whose you are. When you know whose you are, you better know who you are. You probably heard that a hundred times, right? When you know whose you are, you can better know who you are. 
When my daughter knows, looks up and sees her dad praying over her, when your kids look up and see you praying over them, you know what they, you know what's solidifying in them? That I am theirs and this place I can call home. This place is secure. This place is stable. This place is safe. And I see a dad who's gonna fight for me. I see a mom who's gonna fight for me and they're gonna pray for me and they're gonna walk alongside me no matter what it is that I go through. When you do that with kids, it instills in them an identity that you can't get anywhere else, that literally cannot be gotten anywhere else. Why? Because when you know whose you are, you know who you are. Jesus knows this. He calls his home my father's house. I'm going to my father's house. Jesus identifies himself with the father all of the time because he knows He knows whose he is. Another point I want to make is that God's house is for the outsider. God's house is for the outsider. The temple had a large court. When Jesus is celebrating homecoming, he's on his way to the house of God. And as, if, if you were to walk in the temple, there would be these massive 30-foot walls, and, and the first thing you would run into is the court of the Gentiles. And if you, if you know anything about the temple structure and how it operated, right, is The further you got away from the most holy place, the place that contained the presence of God, the more exclusive it got. So on the very outer edges of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. This is where the outsiders could actually come in and and pray to God, right? They're like the people way in the back who were like, what's going on up there, right? Like they're a part of the group, but they're not really that close to the stage. They're not really close to the center and what's going on. But as you got closer to the presence of God, the more secluded it got, the more the, the, the... Waves of people got thinner and thinner and thinner until only one person could enter into the most holy place. That's what the temple was. And if you wanted to get anywhere past the court of the Gentiles, you'd have to become a Jew. And and guys, let me just tell you, that process is not fun, okay, for you specifically, right? It's not a fun process. You literally literally have to sacrifice part of your body. It's not good, okay? It's tough. It's, It's a difficult religion to just jump into, and so you had this court of the Gentiles that you would come into, and it was, it was this place where everyone could come together. And as we come to our story today, we're getting to it late, as we come to our story today, Jesus is gonna enter this court and he's gonna lose his mind. Why? Because God's house is for the outsider. Mark eleven fifteen 15 through 19 says this. They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who stole, sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. I don't know about you, but if someone was selling pigeons, I'd turn their table over too, right? And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Jesus is day one of homecoming week. He comes into his home, his father's house, a place he had come to many times before, a place he was comfortable with, a place where the teachings of Yahweh were were being expounded and carried on to other generations. He comes to the court of the Gentiles and he sees a marketplace set up where the outsiders are supposed to worship. See, here's how it worked. There were three markets that were set up outside of the temple. And that's where sacrifices were bought and sold. That's where people would come and they would do the exchange. There was a whole economy built around this and that was A-OK. 
But this year was the first year you can look back historically and see how Caiaphas, the high priest, for the first time made a change and a decision to pack the court of the Gentiles by selling doves and other sacrifices to people. Jesus walks in and he has new anger, anger he never had before. It was like the rage monster on Do Perfect, right? I mean, it was just, it was brutal, okay? And Jesus sees this and he says, you have made my house, the house of God, a den of thieves. Don't you know that this is supposed to be a place of prayer for all the nations? Jesus looks at people who didn't see themselves as outsiders. They saw themselves as insiders. They were a part of the group. They were a part of the clique. They were a part of the club. And we want to do this more efficiently, so we're going to sell and we're going to, we're going to do trade inside the temple courts where the outsiders are supposed to come. We're going to push out the outsiders and make it difficult for them to come and pray because we're going to be selling things to different people. We're going to be selling things to the poor of our community. And we're going to jack the prices up and we're going to take advantage of them. Jesus comes in and says, this is a den of thieves. I cannot take it. And for the first time and the only time in the gospel, Jesus is going to be physically violent. He's gonna start tossing the tables. He's gonna start kicking out the, the merchants and the money changers because he is so upset. Why? Because that was his home and homes provide stability. Homes provide security. And Jesus sees the thing that he loves, the thing that contained the presence of God, that which would bring justice to the world, that's what would bring the, the kingdom of God and peace to the world. Once again, Jesus sees that house he sees it as a corrupted home. And Jesus doesn't just cleanse the temple. He pronounces judgment. When he flipped that table, you know what he was doing? He was declaring war against the enemies of God. He was declaring war against those people who thought that they were insiders. And he realized and he knew that they had missed the whole point. And it wasn't about being an insider, but it was about how God wanted his presence to go to the outsiders. And what we see from this story is that Homes bring stability, homes bring security, but homes, when you love them, you fight for them. Homes are worth protecting, and we protect and we fight for our homes, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus didn't come in like a stern mother saying, Jimmy, you left your, you left your, your underwear, your dirty underwear on the bathroom floor. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes in with an act of war, and he starts flipping tables. He declares war against the insiders because they had forgotten the outsiders. He calls it a den of robbers. They're, they're stealing from their own people. They're stealing from the poor. They, they've crowded out the outsiders and they made it a place where they can no longer meet. So watch what happens in Jesus' homecoming. It starts off a celebration. It's Gypsy Day Parade. Everybody's happy and excited that Jesus is here. Jesus goes to his home. He flips the tables and what happens? The religious leaders look at Jesus and they say, this man needs to die. We gotta get rid of this guy right here. He's creating problems, so what do they do? Remember, Jesus wants to create a home that brings stability. He wants to bring a home that creates stability, or excuse me, that, that creates security. That's Jesus' desire for the home, for the house of God. And what happens to Jesus? As homecoming week carries on, as we prepare for that big battle, that big epic final battle, we see these religious leaders band together, and it's as if they're coming out onto the field, linked arms, dedicated to, to taking out Jesus. And on the other side, there's nobody but one man marching out to meet them. 
And what I love about the gospel and what I love about the cross and what this week represents and what homecoming represents for Jesus is Jesus was in a place of stability. He was in a place of security. And what does he do? He goes to the people who were giving him a parade that have now turned to an angry mob. I, mob, I call that instable. They're unstable people. Jesus goes from a place of security. He goes and gives himself to people who are unstable. Jesus goes from, from a, a place of security and gives them to people who are insecure. People who are going to take his life. They're going to nail him to a tree. They're going to take him outside the city limits. They're going to make him an outsider and give him the death and punishment of a thief. He just gets done calling them a den of thief and now he, thieves and now he's going to die as one. He just gets done cleaning out a room that is specifically set up for the outsiders, but now he's dying as an outsider. Why does this matter for you and me? Why do we set up a building? Why do we have programs? Why do we get up here and teach you week after week about the gospel of Jesus Christ? The reason why is because of what he means to you and me. Here's the reality of the gospel. There is none who are righteous, no, not one. We are all outsiders to God. There is only one who is holy, and that, there's only one man, and that's Jesus Christ. And we were outsiders. And what God did is he opened up the doors to his home, and he came out and became like one of us, taking on our sin, taking on our instability, taking on our insecurity, and taking them to a cross and dying there so that he could look at us and say, hey, my home is for you. This is the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus became an outsider so that you, you could be in his home. You could be inside his walls in the stability and security of his power. Watch what happens. Here's the kicker, right? Mark 15, 37 through 38. Jesus uttered a loud cry as he's dying on the cross, his last breath, right? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why does that detail matter? Why does a curtain in a temple mean that much to us? Why would the gospel writer put that in there? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It means now, instead of having an exclusive club where the outsiders came into one little area and they had to sit from the outside looking in, instead of having a place where, where now you have to have priests and you have to have a high priest to communicate with God, all of a sudden that, that, that home... That, that temple is ripped in half and as, it's as if the doors of heaven opened and the presence of God came bursting out. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Christ died for you so he could dwell inside of you. When we look at the cross, you know what it means to you and me? It means that God never wanted to be in a house that was built by our hands. God wanted to be inside of you and he wanted to be inside of me. You hear all the time, why did Jesus die on the cross? To glorify God and because he wants you. He wants you. He died on a cross for you. You know, you know who you can trust? Someone who lays their life down for you and gets nothing in return. You know who you can buy into? Someone who gives their life for you and asks for nothing in return other than a simple faith. You know what creates stability is when you know that relationship that matters more than anything else. They're gonna love you unconditionally. You know what provides security is when you have a God who you rejected come to you and say, you can be my son, put your faith in me and you're gonna have everlasting life and that life doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. 
That's a God you can have a relationship with that you can trust. He provides stability and security no matter how unstable things are in your life, no matter how insecure your home life might be. He can provide that stability because if you've been rejected by your father and mother, his, own, his door is open wide. You're the perfect person to experience his grace. God died on the cross because he loved you, but you're also his temple. And you know what Jesus loves to do? He loves to dwell in his home. He loves to dwell in his temple. We are because of him. We are because of him. When you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. And when you do that, guess what's gonna happen in your life? You're gonna start getting more stable. You're gonna start having more security. And when you have more stability and you have more security and you fight and you protect your home, and you don't make it about insiders and outsiders, but those whom God loves and who God is calling you to, guess what? You're the dwelling place of God and, and other people, just like the psalmist comes to the temple of God, other people are gonna come to your life and they're gonna say, you know what? There's something stabilizing about you. There's something secure about you. And my life right now is all over the place. I need this. What is it you're doing? That's the beauty of what Jesus is doing here is you're his home, and Jesus loves to dwell in his home. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your spirit is with us. It's leading us. Lord, would we just continue to follow you and, and take these words and the, the cleansing of the temple? Would we see this as, a, as an act of, of destruction and how there are things in our life that need to be destroyed so that you can make us new? Would we find stability and security in who you are? and the relationship that we can have with you. Lord, let us as, as parents, let us as children walk in these principles, Lord, of, of stability and security so that we can pass on our faith, we can pass on our life and our love to those around us. Thank you that you have made us a temple and that you love to dwell in your temple. God, we are because of you. We are because of you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.